0: Well, good morning, good to be together today, and uh, if you're a guest with us, we'd encourage you there in your chair in front of you is a connect card, and it's just what it sounds like it would be, it gives you the opportunity to share information that helps you, helps us connect with you so that we can uh, communicate and know needs and know you, and so we'd encourage you if you would to take a moment, fill that out, put it in the basket on the way out, and um, on Thursday this week, we have Man Church. I, uh, we never announced that in church, and I always think we should be announcing that in church. But that's what we call our Men's Small Group Study. It's Thursday at 6.30, and uh, we'll have food. We ask you, if you would, to RSVP. And really what we did last time, we're doing this time. We meet every other week. We're going to continue to meet through the summer. And uh, we're, t- we're uh, just sharing in our group about what we're reading in Scripture and what God's saying to us from our reading. Sometimes we'll have a, a put-together lesson, but right now that's what we're doing. So we invite you to come Thursday at 6.30. We're going to have hamburgers and hot dogs this week, so RSVP is helpful. We would love uh, to see you there. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, and we're going to uh, begin there at verse 12. And we have been, for some time now, going through the book of 1 Corinthians and uh we have come to a place where we're thinking about the body of Christ. And uh, we talked about that last week and spiritual gifts and how God has imparted gifts to us. And today uh, we want to think about the body, the body of Christ. That is us, God's people. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, at verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ." For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism or division in the body. But that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles. Then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for how it uh, speaks and helps. And I pray today that you'll open up our minds and God help us to... Uh, listen to your voice and your and your spirit as you speak your timeless reality and I pray that you'll transform us day by day week by week so that we are the body so that we uh, understand and appreciate how we connect with each other and that has the meaning that you desire and I pray it in Jesus name amen well the human body is the metaphor that God chose to help us understand the church so he says, the bo- the, just as the body, the human body, has many members, he says, so is Christ. He says, Christ is just like that. He, of course, is what to us? Who is Christ to us? He's our head, right? And he says, we are members of each other. We're the body. We're connected. Each person, we said it last week, you matter. Everybody matters. And, it, and we talked about that. Why does that matter? Well, God has chosen to use the body to illustrate what we're like as a congregation, what every church is like. And it's interesting, uh, I don't know how many of you remember uh, health and anatomy and physiology in school. Some of you are still in school. But there are 11 systems in the body. And uh, so if you can name all of them, I'll give you a free book. Go ahead. Somebody probably can, but uh, I couldn't. Without uh, interacting with that. But one of them is called the integumentary system. I'm probably mispronouncing that. You know what that is? What is it? It's your skin. It's your eyebrows, your hair, your fingernails. It's the stuff that God gave you to keep the stuff that's inside that nobody hopes to see from being seen. And it's more than aesthetics, too. It's more than just cosmetics, like, oh, you, you know, I, you have attractive skin, and I used to have hair everywhere, you know, on my head and all that, but now it's just, it's uh, intermediate, it's here and there. But uh, the, the, uh, God gave us the, the skin, and it's also your cooling system, right? It's not just about attractiveness and keeping your inside stuff inside, it's also a radiator of sorts that God gave to you so that your, your body uh, regulates itself in that sense. And there are some parts of the body that, are, that we don't really want to think about. We don't have to think about a lot of the systems, but you have a digestive system and a urinary system, and now I've made everybody uncomfortable by making you think about that. But we have these systems that work together that God gives. Sometimes we don't think about them. The reproductive system. A miracle that God gave so that I could have a grandbaby. Okay? It's a miracle-producing part of people. God gave us this reproductive uh, system. And he gave us a skeletal system and a muscular system. that they, They work together so that... You can move around this frame that's inside that you don't think about most of the time, right? It's there, that skeletal system, the muscular system, the tendons and ligaments. That's part of a system that was designed to transport you around. And we've been uh, given that. We've been given a cardiovascular system. See, now you're in health class all over again. It pumps your blood throughout the body, this network of arteries and the heart. And it's a system sending blood all over the place and uh, helping, helping us to be alive. The lymphatic system that is part of your immune system. Cody, are you writing them all down, proving that you know all the systems? That's what it looks like you're doing. The, uh, the lymphatic system, the respiratory system, you know, our lungs are breathing. the The fact that God made this wonderful body that we have, that's able to uh, keep us alive. Endocrine system or gl- uh, glandular system about that's about our the chemicals in our body and how they're regulated and hormones and things like that. The new, uh, neurological system, which is basically our body's uh, communication network, right? It's uh, Functions in your brain and uh, your nerve endings that send signals out that help us to have appropriate responses and all those things. But it's interesting that the, when the Bible talks about the body of Christ, it uses the analogy of the human body. And we think about how wonderful the human body is. The body of Christ, like that, has systems. The uh, Scripture is trying to help us think it, about how God wants us to be. It has tasks, Right? Just like your body has tasks. Most of them, as I say, we don't even think about. They just happen without our thinking. And the body of Christ has functions and necessities. So when we think about what a, a congregation of people is intended to be. It's intended to function like a, the human body in concert and connection and cooperation. To the end that, you know, if you thought about what the purpose of your body is, there would be all kinds of ideas. Of course, from a Christian perspective, we would say this body is the living place, the dwelling place of a spirit, a soul, that's meant to be in relationship to our Creator. But this body has a purpose, and it is to help others to experience God, to know God, to help us know God, and to live out our faith in community with each other and to love God deeply. And so we, when we think about our body, the Bible says it is the analogy that God chose to help us understand the spiritual community, the church, the body of Christ. And so in this message today, I want us to think about what are the qualities of this spiritual body that we can take away from in this passage. What are those qualities that God says, this is what the body of Christ is supposed to have when it's healthy, right, and vital and flourishing. This is what it should be like. Well, the, the first quality I think we can see in this passage is unity. Unity. In, when a body, uh, the body of Christ is healthy, unity is valued. It's committed to. It's fleshed out. So effective churches pull in the same direction. They pull in the same direction. I've used this illustration before probably, but I went to Alaska to a, <coughs> excuse me, a town called Kotzebue, Alaska. <coughs> it is 30 miles north of the Arctic Circle. I was there on a mission trip on the 4th of July years ago. And one of the things that they would do, they had a big 4th of July celebration while we were there. And the native women would have a tug of war against the white men that lived in the community. I don't know if any of this is ethnically, you know, inappropriate or whatever, but it happened, I was there for it. So these native women, because of uh, some of the wailing dynamics in their community, they used to wail, you know, capture and bring them. They destroyed, they destroyed the men in a tug of war. It was embarrassing. You know, they just pulled this around. But when congregations are effective, it's because we're, pulling in the same direction we're pulling together uh, toward the same end and we're at our best when we're free of toxic relational issues and unresolved conflict and this of course when you read through uh, corinthians occurs again and again in this passage that we read it says there should be no schism among you there should be no division among you Which doesn't mean there are never differences, of course, because what? There are always differences when you have people together. Whether they're political perspectives or relational interactions that go sideways. At times, of course, there are differences among us. But the Bible says that what we commit to are the practices in the Bible that keep us connected and healthy. And what are those uh, behaviors? Conversations. Forgiveness, forbearance. I mean, they're all the healthy behaviors that we read about throughout the Bible. You know, the capacity uh, of being able, what is forgiveness? You know, when you think about what the word says, it means to release. It means to release. I let you out of my little jail. I let you out of my little uh, prison that I put you in, and you're free. And forgiveness sometimes is because we've had to do the hard work to get to that place of being able to release each other. But unity happens because there, there's a commitment that people have to work through and do the hard things. It's not that they're difficult. It's difficult to know what the Bible says eventuates in unity. I mean, we, can, we know what they're... It's not hard to know what they are... It's just hard to do them, right? It's hard to do them. So sometimes we leave them undone. The consequence is we don't have unity and we we, um, mess up the opportunity to experience the power of God among us because the power of God among us is tied to that. It's tied to people being together. Last week we said, I remember that our effectiveness is tied to our togetherness. Our effectiveness is tied to our togetherness. So the Bible says that God has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation. And, of course, we know that part of that and the biggest part of that is the gospel ministry. It's the truth that Jesus Christ was God in human form who came to earth, And lived a human life to die a substitutionary death on behalf of all the sinners. The only sinless person died for all the sinful people, the Bible says. He allowed himself to be a sacrifice for us. And then he was laid into a tomb and rose again the third day to demonstrate that he had power over sin and death and hell. And that's this ministry of reconciliation that is the big picture. But then underneath that, this ministry of reconciliation is a ministry of peace, person to person, person to person. That The Bible says, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. That's the hard work, is being at peace with everybody, is working through uh, difficult things. But reconciliation is so important that Jesus gave his life for it. That's how, how important it is. Elizabeth George said, "Our conduct is an advertisement for or against Christ. Our conduct is an advertisement for or against Jesus Christ. That's why unity in the body of Christ is so important. So first, when we think about what does a healthy body look like, well, the uh, unity is valued. But secondly, comparison is avoided. Comparison is avoided. This is such an interesting passage of Scripture because Paul gives us this absurd anatomical conversation that's happening. It's absurd. You know, he pictures the hand saying to the foot, I don't need you, or the eye, you know, saying, well, you know, I don't need you. I, I just, all I need is me, this big eyeball. But that would be grotesque, right? If your body was just one big giant eyeball... That would be weird. So that's not what, you know, he says that's not how it is. Comparison is avoided. We each grow to understand who God made us to be and we flourish in our own skin and our own personality. Comparison is unhealthy because it has an adversarial aspect to it. When I compare myself to others, I'm viewing them in an unhealthy way. If I'm comparing myself to See how I size up or measure up. We fail to celebrate others at the same time we miss out on our own significance. That's what comparison does. I can't celebrate you at the same time I can't be me. I can't be the me that God made me to be. So it's inherently limiting. It can't help but cross over into sinful jealousy. I wish I was a hand, said the frustrated feet. I help you walk around, but I never help you eat. Aren't you glad your foot never helps you eat. Disgusting. I wish I was an eyeball, said the disappointed ear. You do all the seeing and all I do is hear. That's it. I don't ever get to see. All I get to do is hear things all the time. That's the you know the Bible is showing us there's this segmented way of seeing life that is like never going to turn into what God means to happen among His people together. Without the ear, there's no hearing. Without the eye, there's no seeing. And each part is important, the Bible shows. us And our uniqueness heightens the value of our contribution. The fact that God made you to be who you are and made me to be who I am You know, when you put all that together, it heightens your uniqueness. It contributes something that without that, the body isn't what God meant for it to be. So, the inverse of this idea, you know, what Paul really is saying, we've heard this saying before, that God intends for everybody to bloom where they're planted. Be the best version of yourself and contribute out of that. But the inverse of that is only thinking about my part and not valuing the part that others contribute. So I want to be mindful, and each of us should try to be mindful of the fact that, yeah, I've got something important to bring, but so does everybody. So does everybody. So comparison is avoided. That's poisonous. And and instead, we, we talked about last week, collaboration, collaboration, that... Beautiful word of co-laboring and bringing together what every part can contribute so that the system together, you know, when our systems are some part of it in our physical body is not uh, working properly, of course, that's bad health, right? Or there's something in our health that causes us to be concerned. So, you know, same thing in the body. We want everything functioning and being healthy. But then also we see in the passage that differences The third uh, way we understand a healthy body is that differences are harmonized and celebrated. They're harmonized and celebrated. Diversity is kind of a loaded political word in our culture, but it uh, doesn't need to be. The fact uh, that God puts the Holy Spirit in all of us, he puts the Holy Spirit in each one of us, the scripture says you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit into one body, so the Holy Spirit's baptism, you know, this baptism is representative of the spiritual truth that's happening. So when a person is baptized, it represents the fact that that old person passed away and a new person has come alive. And that person that came alive is made alive by the Spirit. He animates and gives life. And so we're baptized into that body by the Holy Spirit and everybody gets the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9, we've mentioned this recently. It says, if you don't have the Spirit, you're none of His. Because the Spirit is what makes you a Christian and makes you alive. So the Holy Spirit living inside of us produces this miracle of life in us. And so the fact that we all have this Holy Spirit in common is enough. God says, I gave you all that you need in giving you the Spirit. I enjoy music a lot. And in music, every instrument adds to the orchestration. Uh, the in rhythm with each other a miracle of collaboration occurs the other person's uh, talent and contributions heightens and accentuates the contribution of the other musician and each person has to learn their part and then play that part in <clears throat> unity and concert with other people and, and, but it, you know it's interesting I listen to um, I enjoy Paul Simon a lot he had a song called Graceland, the album I think that was the title of, which he, he uh, world music was a part of it. He brought in a lot of these South African artists to perform alongside him. At a time that was controversial to do that, but I, on one of the, I guess it was probably like the 25th anniversary of that album, there's an interview with Paul Simon and he he uh, segregates out parts of the song and shows you you know kind of like how they put it all together and they did it at sun studios where uh Elvis of course recorded and so he was looking for a kind of a particular sound and you isolate out uh some of those sounds and it's neat to hear but it's not the same as when you put it all together and it is like magical you know it's phenomenal and that's you know a sense I think of what happens when we can put everything together in the body of Christ. We have uh, kind of a magic. The unfortunate uh, truth about um, groups and bands is that a lot of times they're um, fronted by talented egomaniacs, right? (laughs) What happened to Simon and Garfunkel? Anybody remember? No, because you're too young. But uh, they're not together anymore. They couldn't make it work. Or the Beatles couldn't make it work, right? or Credence Clearwater Revival. I've always liked them, that band. My dad had them when I was a kid on 8-track. Guess what? They're not together anymore. Because, like, the front man was kind of an egomaniac. (laughs) And they just couldn't make it work out. And that's, you know, sad, but it happens. But when we think about the body of Christ, our goal ought to be to help position each other to succeed. I should want you to flourish. You should want me to flourish because if we're all flourishing, that's a good thing, right? So the body of Christ with all its differences, I'm fascinated by like how different places that people come to you know, and how then they come together with this background from some other part of the country and yet it doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us if we just yield and surrender and we uh, prioritize what he wants for us. But also we see that in a healthy spiritual body, God's sovereignty, number four, is recognized. Because that's what it says here in the scripture. That he put each part of the body in, into it just as it pleased him. He gave it its meaning and he he decided where each part would go and how as we talked about spiritual gifts last week and we talked about the fact that you are made you are made a specific way with interest i don't have with uh abilities that god didn't give me he didn't give me the same abilities that it, but he is sovereign lord and he decided and then he put us together and that's the heartbeat of it all our preferences, when we come together, are surrendered to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is who? Lord, L-O-R-D, he is Lord, I am not Lord. Jesus is Lord, and so we, we make our preferences, we surrender them to him. God is, uh, the scripture says here, God has set the members, each of them, in the body just as he pleased. The only thing that can keep a congregation of people properly tethered together is the Lord. Is the Lord himself. And our understanding of what it means for him to uh, be the Lord. We recognize his right collectively to lead us. We seek him together. When I became a follower of Christ, that was the confession I made. In fact, I like the, uh, how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 10 where he says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. He says you can't even be saved without saying Jesus is Lord. And not just saying it, but meaning it. Meaning Jesus is Lord. He's master. So my understanding about life now is that I'm trying to understand what the master says and obey obey him. So that's what our lives are like day after day. Not me individually, but us together. We're submitting to Him as Lord. We believe that He has a plan and a purpose. And some of it's obvious. And and like we talked about gospel ministry, that's obviously the purpose that God... I I believe that God's greatest purpose is uh, to bring glory to Himself. He created people to bring glory to Himself. And so when people come to know Jesus and they order their lives under his rule, that person begins to glorify God in their life in a way that they didn't when they were alienated from God as Lord, as acknowledging, you're the creator, you're infinite, and I'm finite, I'm a creature. And the creature was made to worship this benevolent, good God that we sang about before. And so we worship him and we make our lives available Uh, To him and and that's we see his purpose in him glorifying his name. In fact, Jesus praised that he says uh, that I came to glorify you glorify your name, Lord. He says, I both glorified it and will glorify it again. He's he wants to be glorified among us. And so that's his purpose for your, you know, for each person's life. And we see that he's the sovereign Lord that he gives the orders and order, and and that when our lives, individually and then together, are the way they are intended to be, we're constantly obeying. And when we're not obeying, we recognize, I'm in need of renewal. I'm in need of repentance. It's time for me to do some self-reflection and some evaluation. Anybody ever do any of that? I hope so, every day that we do that, we evaluate and reflect and and think deeply about our spiritual life and and the journey we're on. (coughs) Excuse excuse me, with God and with each other. But also this passage shows us that in a healthy body, mutual care is prioritized. Have you ever had a, a toothache? A toothache will get the attention of all of your body. A toothache can be like this, you know, it can put you down. I've had really horrible, like, root canal necessary kinds of toothaches in my life. And it's almost like you uh, can't do anything until you get that taken care of. It's like your body is radiating pain out, and the rest of your body is going to hurt with that tooth. And the scripture here says... That's what we're supposed to be like. When you hurt, it radiates out to me. And I hurt with you. And I identify with you. And I'm aligned with you in your hurting. The body hurts with the hurting member. And God made it to be that way in the human body, right? That's part of that nerve-ending system. Like The nerves in your mouth are throbbing and sending out signals to the rest of you. Hey, something's wrong. Would somebody help me here? So it, it it's part of the way God made things to be. So we attend to it. We've got this pain. I need to see what that's about. That's the idea. So we think about vulnerability. Uh, vulnerability is not a liability. Sometimes we think vulnerability is liability. If I let people know I'm hurting, what will they think? Well, when we're right-minded, we should think they're hurting. That's what I think. That person's hurting. They need help. They need someone to care for them. But sometimes we're like, uh, we have this Western, you know, we got it all together. Can't ever let on that something might be wrong with us. But the, you know, the Bible is showing us that vulnerability is not a liability. It only is if people hurt us when we're vulnerable. But it's not intended to be. Brokenness is not a deficiency. Sometimes things get broken. You know, I think it's, if you listen to people's story closely enough, you find out everybody's wounded and broken. And, you know, sometimes we can be vulnerable enough to own up to what it's been like in our our life. I know, like for me personally, you know, I've shared, I write a blog, I've shared about this, you know, but I was molested as a kid by a relative not in my immediate family. And it's like that kind of wound is with you, you know, through your life, and I think that in the body of Christ, what God intends is for us to find the sort of support and help that leads to wholeness for us, and, but sometimes we're reluctant to be vulnerable, because somebody might hurt us with that, but I don't think brokenness is intended to be a deficiency, everybody gets wounded, and everybody gets hurt, and it looks different for different people. Relationally, we have you know, failures and, and things that occur, and people struggle with addictions, and we're liars if we say that's not the case. You think, oh, no, we're all impervious to that because we're you know, good little uh, Christian boys and girls. But the truth is, everybody is struggling and dealing with challenges in, in their life. And God gave us to each other he gave us to each other. community is what God is, is after. Weakness is not weirdness. You know sometimes we think weakness is weird. I can't own up that like I've, it's the you know it's, it's a challenge. I think we'll never get at that kind of thing in public worship but uh, or, or rarely, I would say. But in small group ministry, it should be that we're making some kind of connection that has uh, the qualities of transparency, the quality of being able to be open, the quality of uh, being able to say, hey, I'm struggling in this way. Not that I want to live in this struggle, but I want to be honest and find help and keep growing and uh, growing in Christ. So Leslie Ludy wrote this. She says, In our culture, it's seen as a sign of weakness to actually seek help from someone else. And yet, as Christians, God designed us to need each other. He designed us to lean upon the body of Christ for support, prayer, wisdom, and even practical help. And so, when we think about this body, it's like when one part suffers, everybody suffers. You feel it. You feel the, you have, what do they call that? Empathy, right? Healthy people have empathy. You know, like sometimes life does a number on us and we can become like little sociopaths. But that's not what God intends. God intends for us to have empathy. The capacity to care and connect and be helpful listen and open up so mutual care is prioritized servant leadership is experienced number 6 cuz he talks about this list of uh, charismatic we would say some of them gifts that and things like apostleship he says god gave apostles we would say well is an apostle still a functioning in office for us or was it uh, the 12 and those who were Um, confirming the gospel in their day. If I thought apostleship was a valid gift for today, I would say it's in pioneering work. That may be how we would experience, like someone who is trying to press the gospel into dark places where there's no gospel witnesses. But apostleship was an acknowledged group. The apostles were the group of people who uh, God was using to give us this in part, there was; They didn't have this, that the canon of Scripture that we have, right? When they met in their meetings in the first century, they didn't have 66 organized books like we have. It was in the process of being determined what was going to go into this book that we take for granted that we have now. And the apostles were part of that. But they, they give us this list of... Uh, he gives us in this passage a list of people who... Uh, had gifts to exercise in the ministry of the gospel in the local church. And he talked about prophets. And we would probably say, um, rather than thinking about foretelling, we're forth telling, is the way I hear people say it. The, we're proclaiming. The prophet proclaims, he tells God's truth. And so, you know, he's given us the, these works that were happening and. You know, each person has to kind of understand that. We know we need teachers in the body of Christ, people who have the gift of teaching. And, the, and you'll find that there are people in the body of Christ who have gifts of teaching, that they can take the scripture and they can understand it, and they can illustrate and apply the Bible and help people to understand its, its uh, message. So God gives teachers, and he gives. Uh, it talks about miracles in the first century, of course, when God broke through in person, you saw unusual works of God. And, and we talked about last week not limiting God. Uh, and that the, there are two dangers, you know, the excesses and the danger of limiting God. And saying God couldn't do this or that. Well, wait a minute, he's God. And so we don't limit God. But the, then gifts of healing helps these get into the more... Um, mundane you know sort of things like a person that's helping just says hey I recognize that um, the lawn needs to be cut and I'm going to come out there and cut grass you know that's helps the ability to do things that uh, need to be done because even though the church the church uh, is is not a building it has a building right It isn't a building, but it does have one. It isn't the grounds or the property, but it has that, you know, as part of its expression of itself here at 1094 Goshen Road. It has that, you know, and things that have to happen, administration that has to occur. So he says these are some of the leadership, you know, ideas that are present. And this is not exhaustive because, we, you know, we said Romans 12 talks about spiritual gifts too. And it talks about different spiritual gifts uh, there. Some of them are different than these. <coughs> and Ephesians chapter 4 talks about spiritual gifts. And it explains it. And it's even a little more different in some ways than what you see here. So that's not exhaustive, but it is saying that God gives to the body of Christ leaders. And all those leaders, when they understand themselves properly, are servant leaders. You remember what Jesus taught in Scripture? He said, the student is not greater than his teacher. But he says, every student, when he's properly trained, will be like his master. So Jesus is the master. And he says, every student, when he's fully trained, he his goal is to be like his master. What was our master like? Do you remember, like, one of the last days that Jesus was on planet Earth when he came here in the first advent? He said, You call me Lord and Master, and that is who I am. But if I, your Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Every student, when he's perfectly trained, will be like his teacher. What was our teacher like? He would bend down and wash other people's feet, right? Whose feet are you washing? Do we, if we want to know, how much like my master am I? Whose feet are you washing? And, of course, I don't necessarily mean um, literally. But in what ways are you bending down to serve someone else? And what ways are you, like, humbling yourself and getting yourself out of, like, the first place and, and coming into you know, serve other people? Where is humility etching its form into your behavior? That's the question. So servant leadership is experienced and then godly love is practiced, number seven. <clears throat> when we look at this passage, it's, there's a segue to what we're going to talk about next week, which is godly love. He says, earnestly desire the best gifts and yet I show you a more excellent way. And next week we're going to talk about that more excellent way the way of godly love. So we won't enlarge on that here, but it's exactly uh, what we'll see coming up in uh, chapter 13 because godly love is the cement that holds everything to- together. And if we don't have love, we're going to see the Bible says we are nothing. If we don't have love, we are nothing. We don't have anything to give. We might as well pack it up and, and uh, go our separate ways. Mark Dever I uh, first heard of him through a book called Nine Marks of Healthy Churches and I love that uh, book and his thoughts about community He's pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. He says when a person becomes a Christian he doesn't just join a local church because it's a good habit for growing in spiritual maturity he joins a local church because it's the expression of what Christ has made him a member of the body of Christ you're a member you are a member. And God doesn't intend for us to be dismembered, right? He intends for us to be membered. <laughs> he intends for us to be in here, connected, intentionally, deliberately, working toward this sort of picture of community. And, of course, at times it's going to be misaligned, and, but that's not natural, that's not normal. It's not God's expectation. His expectation is for us to be part of this body of Christ with Jesus as our head. So when the body of Christ is functioning as he intends, there's a potential for miracles. Isn't that a powerful thought? That we come expecting God is going to do. The miracle we hope for is transformation in the lives of human beings that this person who previously was not a worshiper would become a worshiper of God. That's what we hope for in community. Is like we can be a part of the new birth for someone else and then to nurture that in each other. So we're that body. That's what the Bible says. The people in whom the Holy Spirit has come to reside are members of each other. You are a member of the other brother or sister in whom the Holy Spirit is living. So when we meaningfully belong to one another and serve alongside each other, we are whole and complete. That's what God's His desire for us is to work that out. Our gifts in the Holy Spirit are synergistic. Uh, they work synergistically. It's the idea of synergy is like complement, we're work, working together, synergistic. It's a real Bible word, actually synergy The idea that together we work. We work together. And and God is building us together. The scripture shows us. So we're most effective when we have thoughtful, deliberate ways of helping people know and live out their calling in Christ's body. I'm very glad that the church that we, uh, Frankie and I, came to faith in Jesus in back in 1987 when we were baptized, little baby Christians, and, and uh, they put us into small group ministry and they started to equip us to think and behave as, as Christians. That church invested in our lives in a way that uh, left a mark on us forever. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. That's, I think, what God intends spiritual community to do to bring us together, to connect us, and to help us to uh, be more than we can be just living our singular life. And armed with the knowledge of what God wants, we live it out and, and our identity collectively as servants to him. So we're going to have a time this morning of commitment. We usually sing a song to conclude our service, and I'll stand down front, and I'll be happy to pray with you and to help you uh, as you think about uh, commitments or some way that God may be at work through uh, what he's saying in his word. And, you know, to me, the most obvious place for people sometimes is starting uh, the journey as a follower of Christ. And, you know, I think that is thoughtful and deliberate, and it's a miracle that God performs. We just recognize that the Bible says our sin has separated us from God, and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and there's not one righteous. And God, as we talked about already, paid the price through his son. And so maybe this step for you is to trust him publicly, because Jesus says, if, if you're ashamed of me, he says, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. There's no private following of Jesus. He calls us all to follow him publicly and identify with him publicly. And not only as a way of standing in front of a congregation, but then going out and living that way in our life so that people know that we follow Christ. And uh, so we will have a time of commitment. It may be that you want to respond publicly to the gospel, and we invite you to do that. But let's stand together and I'll pray for us. God, I'm so grateful for the Bible and uh, how it constantly calls us back to uh, your best for us. And it shows us your best. And I pray today that you'll work among us, Lord. God, we're imperfect people, but we want to please you. And we realize, God, that uh, sometimes we come short of that. But I pray that you'll help us to, to be able to... Uh, find a, a way to uh, live in a way that you're honored through us that people look at us and they say uh-huh. that's what it looks like when Christ has real meaning to people and so God help us today and I pray that you will bless now in this time and we ask it in Jesus name, Amen